This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 163. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester. You can find more of my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. Each week, I bring you a piece of my fresh new fiction, available in audio for the first time anywhere, and keep you informed on my writing endeavors. So let's get started, shall we? Here is this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 21 of my Metamore City novel, The Lost and the Least. If you're new to the show, don't start here. Go back to Episode 143 to hear this story from the beginning. I'm short on time to get this episode finished, so no recap this week. Let's get straight to the story. Here's Chapter 21. The Lost and the Least A Novel of Metamore City Written in Red by Chris Lester Chapter 21 Monday, May 21st Morgan arrived home shortly after dawn, mentally tired but physically sated. Hunting for a willing sharing partner was not easy on Sunday nights. Most mortals went to bed early, so they would be ready for work the next morning. But she'd found a handsome, self-assured man with a humiliation fetish, who was willing to trade blood for a scene at their favorite dungeon. On the whole, Morgan had found that the kink community was more willing to accept the idea of consensual sharing than the more vanilla clubs were. When you've spent a lifetime hearing that you're sick and wrong for wanting the things you want, she thought, you're rather less likely to pass the same judgment on others. She smelled the blood as soon as the lift doors opened on her floor. Her senses immediately kicked into high alert, and she moved swiftly and silently to her apartment door. There was a smudge of blood on the handle. Morgan covered it with a handkerchief, then unlocked the door, turned the knob, and went inside. There was more blood on her once spotless floor, dribs and drabs of it leading from the kitchen through the small dining area and into the bathroom. Morgan poked her head inside and saw her medical supplies scattered all over the room, along with the tattered remains of a pale gray spell-woven suit. She continued down the short hallway to the bedroom. Evan was lying on her bed, the blankets protected by a layer of towels spread out beneath him. He was dressed only in his underwear, and from head to toe, his skin was a mottled patchwork of bruises and dried blood. Evan! Morgan rushed to his side, taking his hand and leaning over to kiss his forehead. Hello, dear, Evan said, his voice faint and shaky. Sorry, the boys and I had some fun without you. Blood and ashes... Morgan muttered. She examined his injuries closely. Besides the bruising, he had at least a dozen knife wounds that she could see, several of them deep, concentrated around his arms, chest, and abdomen. 
He had cleaned the wounds and closed them with butterfly strips and surgical glue. Two of his enchanted tattoos, spells for strength and endurance, had disappeared from his skin. She supposed he must have needed them just to get here. After completing her examination, she determined that none of his injuries were life-threatening, at least not in the short term. She allowed herself to relax. Tell me you disinfected these, she said, gesturing at one of the deeper wounds. Tried to, Evan said. Not sure I got them all. Morgan sighed. I'll write you a script for some antibiotics. She looked up at his face and frowned. Let me get you a compress for that bruising. Smashing, Evan murmured. Looks like you've had enough of that already, darling. Morgan kept several cold packs in her freezer. She took two, wrapped them in dish towels, and brought them back to the bedroom. She pressed them gently to either side of his face. Evan hissed, but made no further complaint. What on earth happened? Morgan asked. Evan let out a weak chuckle. I was following a lead. Morgan looked down at his injuries. I dare say it was a good one. Too true. That group we discussed, the ones working against the syndicate, they're showing the colors openly now. Gangers wearing white, bringing in anything deadly they can get their hands on. I tried to follow two of them. They had friends. Morgan clucked her tongue. You should have asked for help, darling. That sort of surveillance is a bit outside your core competencies. I'm keenly aware of that, Evan admitted. But the opportunity was there. Didn't want to lose it waiting for backup. Morgan nodded. Did you learn anything? Not much. I barely got out with my skin. But if my source is correct, they're smuggling in supplies on an unprecedented scale and he said they're coming in through the docks in Menth. It makes sense, Morgan said, but with all the shipping passing through there, it's a bit of a needle in haystack problem. <laughs> You'd need the god's own luck to find anything of significance. Evan froze. Bloody hells, he whispered. What is it? The androgyne turned his head to look at her, a sudden spark in his eyes. I have an idea. Callie returned to Kenning Security shortly after nine o'clock. It was obscenely early for a runner to be up and moving, but between her afternoon nap on Sunday and her anxiety for Silas, she had been unable to make herself sleep any later. Will was in the kitchenette when she arrived, making pancakes with the kind of focused attention she normally associated with ritual magic or explosives work. He hovered over the pan with Turner in hand, meticulously checking the edges of the batter and referring back to the recipe on his phone. Callie came up behind him and kissed his cheek. Morning, Tiger. Hey. Will smiled, but did not look away from his duty. Coffee's in the pot if you want some. Sounds good, thanks. She poured herself a cup and adulterated it with the appropriate amounts of cream, sugar, and cinnamon, though she had to make do with white sugar rather than brown. Mug in hand, she went to the control station to check on her new sysadmin. Nate didn't look like he'd moved in eighteen hours, though the pile of empty cups, soda bottles, and sandwich wrappers had grown around him in her absence. His dark eyes were looking a little puffy, 
but they remained intently focused on the screens in front of him. How's it going? she asked. It took a few seconds for Nate to answer. I've got a recognition algorithm set up to hunt for your missing van. It's combing through security camera footage, looking for possible matches and indexing the video frames by time and location. He pointed to a branching list of file names that was slowly growing in the left-hand screen. But the software can't discriminate between two vans that look similar, so a second program takes the data for each sighting and strings them together to make probable routes of travel, based on what's known about traffic patterns in different parts of the city. That doesn't guarantee that every data point on a string belongs to the same van, but it's the best guess we can make without having someone stare at thousands of hours of surveillance footage. The results get mapped here. He pointed to a street mapping program in another window, where a nest of different colored lines slowly grew across the neighborhoods of the street. That's crazy, Ark, Callie said, genuinely impressed. She leaned in close to look at the mapping program. Can we filter this down somehow? We know the Red's missing van had to be at the brothel, so any vans that don't go past there aren't the one we're looking for. You can do that, Nate cautioned, but you'll want to wait until the program has mapped everything back to the last time they had the van. Do you know when it disappeared? Friday, Callie said. Nate checked something in the search window. All right, looks like we're about halfway there. By tomorrow morning, you should be able to run the search. Callie clenched her fists in frustration. What Nate had done was amazing, and she appreciated that, but the thought of waiting another day to find Silas was unbearable. Is there anything else we can do in the meantime? Nate shrugged. You tell me, boss. This system's got processing power to spare, but you'll need to figure out what you want it to do. Callie sighed. All right, let me get back to you on that. She looked at the pile of empties around the desk. You good? You need anything? Nate crooked a thumb in Will's direction. I'll take some breakfast once Mr. Chef in there is done with it. After that, I'm going to head home, get some shut-eye. Just call me if any alarms start going off. I'd set up a VPN to do remote monitoring, but I don't think Mr. Kenning would appreciate the hole in his security. Cert, Callie agreed. Thanks for your help on this, Nate. I'll transfer payment to your account this afternoon. Nate made a vague gesture in the vicinity of his forehead, in what Callie guessed was supposed to be a salute. Pleasure doing business with you. If you want to set up anything long term, just let me know. Won't need it once we get Silas back, Callie said, but I appreciate the offer. Callie's phone rang, cutting off any further conversation. She pulled it out of her pocket and checked the caller ID before answering. Hey, Celindy, how's business? A man's voice answered from the other end of the line. Debilitating, Evan Selindy said. I just had a close encounter with several large men with knives. What do you know about this new coalition using white as their colors? Callie closed her eyes, feeling a dizzying sense of deja vu. They're after the Reds, and they seem to be everywhere. That led to a second disturbing thought. Look, I don't know if this line is steady. If you're looking to collaborate, why don't you come down to Kenning's security and let's talk? A note of surprise filled Evan's voice. Silas is getting involved? Good. These bastards would have killed me if I hadn't escaped. The Runners Guild can't let that stand. Callie's stomach churned. If we don't get Silas back, there may not be a Runners Guild anymore. There's a lot we can't let stand, she said. 
Can you get here? How bad are you hurt? There was a pause as Callie heard Evan arguing with someone nearby. At last, he said, My partner will allow it, but only if she's allowed to accompany me. Partner? Callie asked. Since when? I thought you contracted solo. Not that kind of partner, Linda. Callie understood then and grimaced. She really didn't want to bring anyone else in on the secret of Silas's disappearance. Then again, you did let Will join the team, she told herself. You vouching for her? she asked. If the person in question was Evan's partner rather than Ava's, it would have to be a her. I am, Evan said. Callie sighed. Okay, fine. Just get here as soon as you can. I need all the help I can get. That makes two of us. We'll see you shortly. Evan rang off. Callie put the phone back in her pocket. Better mix up another batch of pancakes, Will, she said. We're going to have company. Morgan had no idea what to expect as she drove Evan to the meeting with his fellow runner. Evan had tried to explain who Silas Kenning was, why he was important, but the functional description of the service he performed, which sounded like an escrow service for runners and their clients, did not seem to merit the degree of reverence with which Evan spoke of the man. It was as if Silas were part godfather, part spymaster, part guardian angel— Morgan got the sense that she was missing a lot of cultural and historical context. Though she'd never heard of him an hour ago, she found herself looking forward to meeting the man. A woman was waiting for them at the door of the building as they pulled up to Kenning Security Consulting. Morgan was surprised at how young she was. She looked like she should be studying in one of the coffee shops in the uni district, not hanging out with the spies, thieves, and saboteurs of the street. She was as tall as Morgan herself, but she had a lean, wiry look about her that made Morgan think she'd seen hungry days as a kid. Her clothing was a mottled patchwork of different styles, with a torn red blouse layered over a form-fitting black t-shirt, a ruffled red miniskirt, torn fishnets, pink leg warmers, and a pair of calf-high leather combat boots. She also wore a pistol on one hip, her gun belt hanging lopsided over the skirt, and a bandolier filled with throwing knives across her mostly flat chest. Her brown hair was streaked with red and gold and flew in wild tangles around her head, though Morgan supposed the crushing humidity probably wasn't helping her on that front. Sharp, intelligent eyes narrowed at Morgan as she stepped out of the skimmer into the perpetual twilight of the street. Up topside, Morgan would be in serious danger from the sunlight, but beneath four layers of skyways and the towers between them, all she felt was a mild discomfort, like stepping into a sauna. Then again, that could have just been the weather. "'Miss Linda?' Morgan asked. "'I'm Morgan Drowling. I brought Evan, like you asked.' The runner's eyes slid past Morgan to the skimmer's windshield." Evan had had it fitted with a protective sunlight screen so that Morgan could drive it safely during daylight hours, but that made it almost opaque to human eyes. Morgan could tell that the woman in front of her wasn't entirely human. Her scent had hints of something otherworldly about it, Daedra or Celestial, perhaps, but she had no idea whether she could see Evan sitting there in the passenger seat. "'How bad is he hurt?' the runner asked." 
badly enough that I didn't want to bring him, but he insisted, Morgan said. He needs a safe place to rest and recover. Linder gestured up at the building. You won't find a safer spot on the street, she said. Then her mouth compressed into a hard line. Then maybe that ain't saying as much as it used to be. Morgan nodded once. I'll have to carry him. Will you help me with the doors? Sure. Linder came up to the skimmer's passenger side, then held the door open as Morgan stooped and lifted Evan out of the seat. Evan grunted in pain and wrapped his arms around Morgan's neck, but Morgan was in no danger of dropping him. Linder led them inside, down a short flight of stairs and over to a cargo lift, which they took up to a loft-style apartment area overlooking a large room. Morgan immediately noticed the very clean, dry air of the place, a condition she normally associated with laboratories. She could hear extensive ventilation systems of some kind coming from the floor below. Curious, she went over to the balcony and looked down. Oh, gods, she breathed. Are those... are those all computers? A short, skinny Yehudi man sat at a control station next to the balcony. He beamed at her with equal parts amazement and pride. Isn't it amazing? It's like a Majestic Industries world net hub down there. Evan, still in Morgan's arms, glared at the little man. Who the blazes are you, and why are you in Silas Kenning's chair? That's the thing I couldn't tell you over the phone, Linder said. Silas is gone. Somebody took him. She gestured at a scattering of bullet holes on the walls around the door to the fire exit. Evan clenched his jaw. The whites? It can't be, Morgan breathed. Why would they? I don't understand. Nate's been helping us on that one, Linder said. Near as I can tell, Silas was watching the whites for a while, trying to suss out how they plan, what they're after, how they're passing messages or moving money around. Either they figured out he had eyes on him, or they wanted whatever he had on the Reds. Evan made a quiet, pained sound. Morgan abruptly realized she had been squeezing him tighter than was necessary. Sorry, love. She carried him over to one of the chairs by the dining table and set him down in it. Evan let out a long, shaky sigh. A skinny, bookish-looking young man came out of the kitchen area with a plate of pancakes, which he held up to them in offering. Breakfast? Please, Evan said, taking the plate. None for me, thank you, Morgan said. But I'll take some of that coffee I smell. The young man nodded and went back to the kitchenette. So what's the plan? Evan asked. We've got a cover for Silas until we get him back, Linder said. If word gets out that he's gone, the whole runner's guild falls apart. She walked over to Nate and put her hand on the back of his chair. Nate can handle the tech side of things, but he doesn't know anything about what we do or how we do it. We need someone to handle the human side. She gestured to Evan. You do that better than anybody I know. Between the two of you, I figure you make one whole Silas. Evan snorted a laugh, then winced. I suppose I can handle that. I'm not going to be taking any runs in my present state. What will you be doing? Looking for Silas, Linder said. Somebody's been snatching street rats all over town, and I'm betting it's the same crew. I find them, I find Silas. Linder and Nate then launched into a detailed explanation of their search technique. For the moment, it seemed to hinge on finding a van full of missing prostitutes, 
who had been destined for a syndicate brothel. Wait a moment, Morgan said. I heard about this before. Are you working with Kate Kidridge on this? Kelly's eyebrows went up at the mention of Kate's alias. We've been trading notes, yeah. You're with her? Morgan nodded. I'm a medical examiner. I've been trying to construct a profile of the victims whom the killers are targeting, so we could get to them first. Yeah, Kate told me about that. Some kind of weird DNA magic. In a sense, yes. The trouble is, to work up a specific profile, we'd need to compare complete genetic sequences for several of the victims. We don't have the equipment for a task like that. A voice popped up from the side of the room. Um, I might be able to help with that, Nate said. He pointed over the balcony at the racks full of computers on the floor below. You wanted something to do with all that processing power, Callie? Sounds like you've got it. That's a lovely idea, Morgan said. We'd still need an automated sequencer, though. I can get you a dozen, Nate said confidently. I've got friends at Eastside General. Morgan smiled. I did a residency there. Are you a telepath, then? Nate suddenly looked deeply uncomfortable. He shifted in his seat and looked at his hands. I, uh, didn't realize Mundy's knew that about Eastside. The residents do, Morgan said. Long hours together in close quarters. People talk. She cocked her head as a thought struck her. I suppose it makes sense that the Psy Collective would invest heavily in genetic research. Evan chimed in from the dinner table. The Collective has been trying for years to breed stronger telepaths. If they ever figured out which genes are behind their powers, that program would get a lot more efficient. Nate stared at Evan. Where the hell did you hear about that? Evan smiled smugly. You aren't the only one with friends in the Collective. Anyway, Nate said, forging ahead, if you can get the samples and throw some more shine my way to pay for the sequencing, then I can put Mr. Kenning's machines to work analyzing the output. If there is a genetic profile to the victims, then we'll find out what it is. How does that help us? Evan asked. You can't seriously be proposing that we sequence the DNA of every person in Metamore. We wouldn't need to, Morgan said. Once we know the target sequence, we can have a probe made to match it, and that's much easier. We could screen hundreds of people at a time and get the results in just a few hours. And we'd only have to target families that already fit the heredity profile Kate uncovered. Excuse me. The young man in the kitchenette area raised his hand. Can I say something? Linder put her hands on her hips. What you got, Will? All eyes turned to Will. He shifted his weight uneasily from one leg to the other. Look, this all sounds interesting. I get why you're excited about it. Nate, you're a computer geek, so you like doing cool, powerful things with computers. He glanced briefly up at Morgan before lowering his eyes. Ma'am, you're in medicine, so doing something with genetics is exciting to you. He looked up at Linder. And honey... This Kate person is a friend of yours, and since she's interested in this genetics thing, you trust that it's worth looking into. What's your point, son? Evan asked. The words came out gentler and more patient than Morgan would have expected. My point is, I'm not sure any of this matters. Will spread his hands. Even if this works, even if you could identify who might be a target, most of the people they're going after are random street rats— 
Figuring this out isn't going to stop them from getting snatched off the street and used to power this black magic thing the bad guys have apparently got going. Morgan frowned. You're right, she admitted. But this is the only clue we have to their motives. Something about these people is drawing their attention, and that could shine a light on their eventual goals. Right, Will said. But look, I'm a writer, okay? I tell stories. When I write about villains, I have to know what they want, because that determines what they need, and what they'll do to get it. But none of that tells me how the hero is going to stop them. His gaze flickered around the room, where he probably saw the same blank look on everyone's faces. He sighed. All the stuff you just talked about, the computers, the sequencers, the DNA samples, that's not stuff you need. That's stuff the villains need. Or else, how the heck would they know who to go after? Morgan blinked. She looked around at everyone else. She saw the same expressions of surprised realization on all their faces. We don't have to know why they're doing this, Morgan said slowly. We just have to know what they need in order to do it. So they need access to genetic research equipment, Evan said. And supercomputers, Nate said. And blood or tissue samples from the victims, Morgan said. Linder gave Will an approving nod. The boy grinned. So what are we looking at, then? Linder asked. Hospitals? Not just any hospital, Morgan said. They wouldn't have the computers. What about universities? Will asked. Don't they have supercomputers for their research? Some do, Nate said. To have all the gear you're talking about, you'd need a place that specifically did a lot of genetics research. But they would also need to have a teaching hospital on site, or ready access to one, Morgan said. Only one university in the valley has both. Chisholm, Evan guessed. Chisholm, Morgan agreed. It was the school her parents had wanted her to attend, the most prestigious university in Metamore City. Several of Morgan's friends in the peerage had gone there, including Amelie Grace, who is now a fellow vampire and Morgan's co-conspirator in the white. Morgan's application to Chisholm had been turned down. Her father had offered to pull strings to make them reverse that decision, but to Morgan that felt like cheating. She'd chosen USAM instead, the Empire University School of Medicine, and she hadn't been sorry for it, especially when she had her falling out with her parents and they cut off her access to House Drowling's funds. I'm going to have to go up there and start digging, Linder said. If we're right, then all those people who got tortured to death must have given samples there at some point. Uh, one problem with that, Callie dear, Evan said. Chisholm students fit a certain profile, in dress, in speech, in manners. You're excellent at thieving and courier work, but you don't blend. Linder put her hands on her hips and glared at Evan, but only for a moment. She snorted and shook her head. Skywalkers, she muttered. I'll go, Will offered. Morgan looked the young man up and down. Short hair, clean-shaven, diffident manners, reasonably tasteful clothes. You couldn't pass for nobility, she said slowly, but I believe you were there on scholarship. She looked at Evan. Can we get him a fake student ID? Evan snorted. Child's play. Give me twenty-four hours. 
he pulled out his phone and started searching through his contacts. Morgan went up to Will, beckoning Linder over as she did so. I'll give you a list of the victims who were targeted. If we're right, then they will all have some connection to Chisholm, but they needn't all have the same connection. You may have to do some creative thinking to find them. Will nodded, his expression sober. Creative thinking is what I do best, he said. And that's the end of chapter 21. Come back next time when Dr. Jared Tamlin gets some unsettling news about one of his patients and Kate pays another visit to Special Investigations. Mario Vargas Llosa said, Writers are the exorcists of their own demons. So, grab your candles and chalk, refill your holy water, and follow me to this week's recap on my writing endeavors. Here's your weekly writing report. I wrote 1,025 words this week, over the course of 1.5 hours, for an average writing speed of 683 words per hour. I wrote on two days this week. I made a little bit of time this week to do some more actual writing on homecoming. I was only able to squeeze out a little bit of writing during my lunch breaks, but something is better than nothing. Looking back at the month of September, I wrote a total of 7,732 words in 11 days, averaging 703 words per day. That makes September my most productive writing month since January. I spent 10.25 hours writing last month. Compared to August, my word count increased by 185%, and my writing time increased by 242%. I'm still nowhere near where I want to be with my writing output, but hopefully this represents a step in the right direction. And now, the feedback. Hi, Chris. This is Andrea Dean. I have been listening to the Metamore City podcast and the Raven and the Writing Desk for the last month and a half, binge listening from the very first episode until now. I had started listening to Metamore City years ago, like an episode or two, and then things come up and then, oh, don't remember what happened. And, you know, a couple of years later, I start listening to it again. And I'm glad I finally got to listen all the way through. I'm caught up at this point and I cannot wait for the next episode. It was really cool to actually hear my little cameo in there, my little line or two back in episode 36, I believe. But yeah, just keep on writing so I can keep listening, and have a great day. Bye. Hi, Andrea. Glad to hear that you were able to catch up with the show. And hey, better late than never, right? Thanks for the call. Ralph writes, Hey, Chris. I've been around the original Metamore City podcast, and I followed your stories and the snippets about your life for a long time. I really enjoy your stories, but I'm an ABA anything but Apple. Can I get audiobooks somewhere other than the Fruit Loop store? Hi, Ralph. Yes, you can. My audiobooks are for sale on Audible, which is an Amazon company. Now, I guess you could argue that Amazon, as a corporation, is at least as evil as Apple, but you can listen to Audible audiobooks on lots of different devices, including Android and Windows phones, and lots of MP3 players. My mom listens to her books on a little $30 player she got from Walmart, and she loves it. And you don't even need to have an Audible subscription. 
although you'll get a pretty big discount if you do. You can buy the books through audible.com or at the Amazon main page. Look for the links in the show notes. Ralph continues, In one of the listener feedbacks, you said you plan on scaling down the release schedule to have more time for the normal, run-of-life things. As the subscribe button does not seem to work, I'm checking the Metamore page and the Chris Lester one regularly to see if something new has come up. Could you maybe give me a hint on how to subscribe using something other than fruit-based electronics? Yes, I hate Apple. Sure thing, Ralph. If you want to subscribe on a non-Apple phone, the first thing you'll need is a podcatcher app. I used to use Downcast when I had an Android phone. Some of the other popular Android apps are CastBox, Dogcatcher with two Gs, and PocketCasts. Or you can just use the Google Podcast app that comes with the phone. You can download all of those from the Google Play Store. If you have a Windows phone, you can just use the Windows Podcasts app that comes installed with the operating system. Once you've got your app set up, you can click Add a Podcast and search for my name, Chris Lester, or for Metamore City. Most podcatchers pull from the iTunes podcast directory, so it'll probably come right up. If it doesn't, look up the instructions on how to add a podcast using a URL or an RSS feed. Then you can just enter the URL for my podcast feed, which is http colon double slash chrislester.org slash feed slash podcast. Ralph goes on to say, I hope you get back to a happier and healthier place, and keep us needy nerds entertained with your awesome storytelling skills for some time to come. Thank you again for all the years of wonderful stories and anecdotes. Well, thank you very much, Ralph. I'm doing a lot better than I was two months ago. I appreciate the encouragement, and thanks for continuing to listen to the show. Hopefully once you get subscribed, that'll get a lot easier. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and my Mastodon handle is at author Chris Lester at wandering.shop. If you like this show, take a minute and leave me a review in Apple Podcasts. It makes a big difference in helping people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2018 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.